You and I live in an era in which the time and space between the kingdom of God and planet Earth has disappeared. Though often unseen, the kingdom of God is now present. That means that we simultaneously live in two worlds, the kingdom of this earth and that kingdom of God. One is seen, it's visible. The other, it often takes a bit of focus to see, but it's there. Now, my prayer as we talk together for the next 20, 30 minutes or so is that you'll notice the kingdom of God And though it may appear at first glance to be hidden, my prayer is that you're gonna see that it's always visible. And again, sometimes you might just need to focus a bit to see it. Now the Bible declares emphatically that you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. Paul says this clearly in his letter to the Philippian church. He says in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. Now recounting some of the great exploits of the faith, the author of Hebrews, we have no idea who wrote that book, said much the same thing in Hebrews 11, 13 to 14. Um, That author writes this, these, the heroes of faith, all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, they embraced them, and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare that they plainly seek a homeland. In other words, they experienced this tension. They found themselves living in a land that wasn't their home. In a real sense, any Christian alive on this planet today is in the same position. The world isn't our final home. Now, that doesn't mean that we're against the world. Far from it. In, In fact, the prophet Jeremiah literally found himself in exile, living in a land that didn't worship the one true God. Taken from Israel in captivity, he found himself living in one of the most pagan nations to historically ever exist. Now, you might think God would remove him from a world with such different values than his own. However, God had plans for him while he was there, so God wasn't going to remove him. And he has the same plans for us. Jeremiah prophesied this. He prophesied God's heart for his people while living among a different kind of people in a strange land, because those were the Lord's people to whom he was called to bless. And so through the prophet Jeremiah, God actually instructed his people. He said this, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit, take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. Now, think back through that list of the things that were in that verse that I just repeated to you. God told Jeremiah to do things that required long-term planning and strategic forethought. He was told to do things like have kids and to think about the lives that his grandchildren would live. He was instructed to root down and to serve the place where he lived, even though while acknowledging like, hey, this is not my final home. God didn't plan to pull Jeremiah out and have his people removed from that culture. He intended for them to move into it and to bless those people, effectively showing them a better way of life. Now, notably, these commands to think long-term and to bless others for generations, they're the context of the famous Bible verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, that so many people know that goes on t-shirts and calendars and coffee mugs and bumper stickers and chalkboards and whiteboards. That verse is this, I know the plans I have for you. That's it. It was written to believers who were living in a strange land, followers of God who were expected to live their sacred values 
instead of the values of the world around them, yet they were not called to live in opposition to that world. They were called to bless that world. God encouraged them to increase in number and to bless the people where he placed them. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus prayed something similar for his disciples just before he faced the cross. If you look at John 17, verse 15 through 18, he says something like this. He says, I do not pray that you should take these out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. These followers of mine, he says, they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you send me into the world, I have now sent them into the world. Now, notice the balance there. We're destined to be in the world, yet we're not of the world. We're different. And we're different not to take a position of defiance until we all get out of here, but to live differently in order to bless those who are already here. And this requires that we see things differently. Now, Matthew, he was one of Jesus' 12. He says that the first message that Jesus preached after the temptation was that people should repent. That's in Matthew 4, 17. It, it just quote from the scripture right here. From, from that time, from the time of the temptation, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, Jesus didn't call people to, get this, repent or go to hell nor did he call them to repent lest something horrible happen to them. He called them to repent because the kingdom was currently present. It, it was already there. Now that phrase repent or that word repent, it means literally to change your mind. It means to see things differently. Jesus was inviting people to see something they hadn't yet seen, to awaken to a new reality so that they might live a reality that they had not yet lived. But the inference was that reality was available to them. They might not see it at first glance. Like Jeremiah's contemporaries, they might not be able to look around. In fact, when they looked around, they might see overwhelming evidence that the kingdom is not present. They might need to look again, in other words, and again after that. And then in time, they'll see what God had seen all along. When he sent the disciples to preach, Jesus instructed the disciples in Matthew 10, 7 and 8. He said this, As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. The message they proclaimed and the ministry they did, it overflowed freely from the kingdom reality, from a reality that many people might not yet see. Jesus also said things like, The kingdom is already here. So the quote of this is Luke 17, 21. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. Some translations actually say this, the kingdom of God is within you. And the message of the kingdom is good news. Jesus taught that too. He said, um, just a quote from Mark 1, 15, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near repent, there's that word again, see things differently, and believe the good news. Now, let me take you back in Jesus' story. Mark 1.10, it tells us that as Jesus emerged from the baptismal waters, now remember, the temptation happened, and then Jesus preached to repent. Before, before all of that, he, he was baptized, and when he came up from the waters, I'd, I'd missed this for years, the scripture says this, immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending down upon him. Another translation says it this way, just as he was coming up from the water, he saw the heavens, I love this phrase, split open 
and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Here's another translation. As Jesus came out of the water, he saw heaven split open and the Spirit coming down on him as a dove. Or here's a fourth one. Um, Straight away, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens rent asunder and the Spirit as a dove descending upon him. Um, One final translation. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove. I'll I'll put all the translations in the show notes where you can see those. Now, Mark is clear. Mark's the one that wrote this. He's clear that heaven was opened, yet this gospel writer is far more dramatic than just saying like we would in English, that we saw heaven open and the Spirit coming down. Rather, it was in the Greek language, here's the word, schizo. It, It means ripped apart. Now, you might recognize Mark's word for opened, schizo. You might recognize the root as schizophrenic. When, when someone, a person is schizophrenic, it means that their mental processes have broken down. Mark uses this same word and says, here's what the different translations that I just read to you say, uh, torn, split, rent asunder. That, that's what schizo is. For instance, like right now, if you could take a piece of paper and rip it, and just in half, just and then try to put it back together. You can't. It's it's torn. It's permanent. It's schizo. Mark tells us this is what happened when Jesus was baptized. The heavens were torn open. They were schizo, and they can't be put together. That is, the barrier between heaven and earth has been shredded, which is precisely why the kingdom is now here. There's nothing to hold it back. Maybe let me provide you with another mental image that's from the Bible that'll help put some of these ideas together. We see the same word schizo used in Matthew 27, 51, when Matthew speaks of the veil of the temple being schizo. Before Jesus died on the cross, offering the sacrifice for sins, we had limited access to the Father. More specifically, the high priest and only the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year on our behalf. When Jesus died, though, he created a way for us to go freely into God's presence. Notice that the the veil of the temple that used to separate everyone from that inner court into the Holy of Holies, that veil of the temple was schizo, Matthew 27, 51 says, from top all the way to the bottom, showing that, that God had torn the veil. Many of you know that story. Here's what I'm getting at. I want you to notice two rips two shreds, two tears that we see in the New Testament. The first one is this. At Jesus' baptism, heaven was shred. The barrier between the kingdom and earth vanishes. Grace now rains down. And then at Jesus' death, the veil shreds. Schizo, the barrier between us and God disappears. Now we can approach him with humble confidence. Now, in the show notes, I'm going to put this graphic, this chart that I put together, and here's here's what it says. I'm just going to break it down point by point to you. I'm going to talk about when something happens, what's torn, what it means, and what should be the result. So here's, here's when something happens. The heavens are torn at Jesus' baptism. At the beginning of his earthly ministry, the veil of the temple is torn at Jesus' death at the end of his earthly ministry. Here's what's torn. The heavens at the baptism, the heavens are torn according to Mark 1.10. Um, what's torn? The veil of the temple at his death, Matthew 27.51. Here's what both of them mean. When the heavens are torn, it means that God has access to us in a unique way more than ever before. 
when the veil is torn at his death, it means that now we have access to go before our Heavenly Father. Uh, what should be the result? That's the final line. When the heavens are torn in Mark 1.10 at his baptism, it means there's increased power from the presence of God on earth. And when the veil is torn at his death, now it means increased intimacy with the Lord. Now, most Christians, they're aware that the veil was torn. We understand the imagery of the high priest only going in once a year on behalf of other people. We know that Jesus went in as our high priest once for all time, now giving us access to the Father. Uh, he was our mediator, so we don't need another one. Because of that tear, we all know that we have all access and have this intense intimacy with the Father. That said, most Christians are less familiar with the concept, that first concept that I presented in that chart, of living under a torn, shredded, ripped, schizo, open heaven. An open heaven is a torn heaven. It's a schizo heaven. It means there's no dividing barrier between God and man, between the third realm and the first. Anything is possible. And because of this tear, we have access to unparalleled supernatural power. Anything that happens in heaven can happen here. And this, I believe, is why Jesus prayed when he taught us how to pray uh, in the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, Matthew 6.10. It's why he prayed, your will be done on earth as it is currently in heaven. It was an invitation to ex experience the more of the reality that was made available. Here's what the Bible teaches. It says that Jesus is in the process of restoring all things. And because of that, one teacher, this one's from Benjamin Dunn in his book, The Happy Gospel, he says this, God walked with man with no separation between heaven and earth. For in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth at the same moment. This is the beginning of the creation story. There was no divide between the two. Heaven and earth were intertwined in the fabric of one another. This is what it means for the kingdom to come near. Now, heaven graciously, with the baptism and the terror, it invades and now occupies, or you could say even reoccupies earth. We go back to how things were in the garden, only better. This is why men like Jeremiah can live amidst a culture like Babylon that was probably the most pagan culture of all ever and transform it. It's why Jesus didn't remove his followers from the world, but rather he thrust them deep into the center of it. Jesus told his disciples that signs and wonders would follow them as they confirmed his word according to Matthew 16, 15, and 18. And, and Mark adds that after the ascension, the disciples went and they preached the gospel. And, and here's what happens. He says this, the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Like they were backed up in what they did because again, heaven now all access towards earth. And so it means this. It's, it's not just saving grace that works in us, where the Lord saves our, us from our sins, where he forgives us. There is this empowering grace that enables anything that could happen in heaven, it can now happen on earth. Here's the issue. Paul told Timothy in one of his letters to his son in the faith, he said a day was coming in which the church would have a form of godliness but deny its power. That's in 2 Timothy 3.5. His inference, or I guess his conclusion is this, that godliness actually has power. It had power when Jesus ushered in the kingdom, 
It had power when he sent forth his disciples. It actually has power now. The Holy Spirit doesn't come in an unpowered version. In another passage in the scripture in the New Testament, Paul wrote this. He says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. That's 1 Corinthians 4.20. And then he went on and elaborated. He says, "When when I came to you, I didn't just come to you with eloquent words. I came to you with full conviction of what I was telling you. So, so I believed what I was saying. And then he goes on and says, and I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5. Paul experienced then what Jesus had already promised when he preached in Corinth and saw signs. And when he wrote to Timothy, he told Timothy to expect to see the same. There's a pastor out in Redding, California, Bill Johnson at Bethel Church. Some of you uh, that listen to this have um, been familiar with him. He, he writes this in one of his books titled Hosting the Presence. This is just a quote from it's from page 97 of the version I have. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes below. He, sa- he writes this, Every believer has an open heaven. The size of the open heaven over us is affected in some measure by our maturity and our yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. Think of the open heaven as a big oak tree. The bigger and more stable the tree is, the more people can stand under its shade. Mature believers carry heaven's atmosphere in such a way that others are able to stand under their shade and receive protection. Uh, To use another analogy, others can draft on our breakthroughs and become changed. And, And that really leads me to... I think what is one of the goals, it's it's one of the goals of what I want to teach you over the next few weeks. So the goal of the information that I want to teach you, the goal of really the book that I've put uh, inside of the LifeLift material uh, is is this. One of the goals is, is to help you awaken to your identity. One of the goals is to help you live in the presence of your Heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit, Jesus the Son, as He expresses Himself through you. And that third goal is to express your purpose. So, so that means it's to help you understand what spiritual gifts are, uh, even though, here's, here's what we're going to learn as I just get to it, as I've been studying it, that precise terminology doesn't exist in the New Testament, but I want you to figure out what, how, how the Holy Spirit uniquely expresses Himself through you, and then to walk in those gifts, because they work in any area of life. Like, this open heaven isn't just reserved for full-time ministers. This open heaven, it's over all of earth. The barrier between heaven and earth is torn, schizo, not just the barrier between heaven and and ministers full-time in the gospel who work at churches and nonprofits and other ministry centers. So my intention is to show you how to walk, as, as I'm trying to figure out how to do it, to walk and to live under that open heaven. Here's the deal, though, and here's where we're going to go as I kind of set you up for the next talk. We can't just go from here to there without building the proper foundation. I know firsthand I've tried it. More important than any of the ministry that you're going to do, more important than any of the dreams that you're going to accomplish, more important than any of the roles that you'll have, whether it's ministry or business or any agent of change that you use to make your mark and to bless other people in this world, more important than any of that is walking with this deep awareness of who you are and how amazing you've been created. As you live from that, walking in the Lord's presence, the gifts naturally overflow out of you, spilling onto the world around you. So here's what we're going to do. First, I'm going to talk to you about your identity. Here's the foundational core statement. Understanding who God is and resting in who he says I am is 
my foundation. I'm going to put that in the show notes. Number two, presence. Living in a constant awareness of his presence is the best habit that I can develop. And number three, expression. Imparting my spiritual gifts of grace and love to others. That, that's giving them. Like giving those gifts to others is, get this, always the right response. Always. So now, as a sign off, my encouragement to you is reflect. Think back. Yes, yes, yes. Because the veil was torn in two from top to bottom, you have unparalleled access to your heavenly father with this intense intimacy this oneness this unity at the same time because heaven was torn there is this intense opportunity for everything that happens in heaven to be a reality on earth your kingdom come your presence be here your will be done my prayer for you as i sign off May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face a favor to shine upon you. May you walk with this awareness of just simply this on earth as it is in heaven. Because not only was the veil in the temple torn, giving us access to our heavenly father to where we can boldly approach that throne of grace, but the sky, the heavens were torn at the baptism meaning every blessing of heaven can now freely come from there to here. Grace, peace, shalom.